What a beautiful, beautiful hymn. And isn't it wonderful that as Sisters in Zion, we can, even those 10 and 11-year-olds girls, we can all serve together. Thank you for joining in that lovely hymn. In July, my husband and I went to Philmont, the scout training center in New Mexico. Gathered there were 150 priesthood leaders and their families in that beautiful camp where the plain meets the soaring pine-covered mountains. Jeremy Judd was there with his family, and he celebrated his eighth birthday during that week. And because Jeremy wanted to be baptized on his eighth birthday, his father, Alma, made the arrangements And that Saturday afternoon, I participated in one of the most spiritual baptismal experiences of my life. Baptismal clothes were borrowed from a nearby ward. A stream where the water was deep enough to perform the ordinance was located about 15 minutes' drive from camp. It was a secluded spot in the wilderness. A bank overlooked the stream as it flowed through a clearing of stately cottonwoods. We stood in the high grass and listened carefully as first the mother and then the father spoke to their son about the ordinance that was about to be performed. They reminded Jeremy of the importance of the covenant he was about to make. They indicated that the covenant he was making was a promise or an agreement to obey all the laws of the gospel. They told him he should consider baptism as the entrance into a new life with the Savior as his example. Then the father took his son by the hand and walked down the bank, over the pebbles, and into the water. There he immersed his young son in the water of the clear, flowing stream, after the pattern given by the Lord. The boy's 16-year-old sister stood by my side, and tears streamed down her cheeks as she whispered, I'm so happy for Jeremy. I, too, was happy for Jeremy, and at that moment, I remembered the joy I felt at my own baptism. After Jeremy had changed his clothes, he stood in the clearing while his father and the other brethren laid their hands upon his head and confirmed him a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. With the sunlight on his wet hair and a radiance on his face, Jeremy felt a reverent calm, and he confided in me with wonder and excitement. I was baptized in a river just like Jesus. The spot in the River Jordan where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, must have looked something like this beautiful place where we stood. I could almost hear John protesting, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And then the quiet, calm reply of the Savior, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus was baptized to fulfill the law and to give us the pattern to follow. When Jeremy's father said, Amen, to the words of his son's confirmation prayer, I looked at that young boy, and I wondered if he was ready for the responsibility of the covenant he had just made. Would he follow the teachings of Jesus by living a new and renewed life? Did he understand his commitment to bear witness to the world of Jesus Christ? I think a great deal about these things because children are my special concern, and I tell you that they can and do honor their commitments made in the waters of baptism. You'll find examples of them around the world, like Lisa. Lisa, age 11, lives in England. And she came home from school one day feeling very excited. She had been asked to read a part in the school devotional assembly the following morning. She said to her mother, But some of the words are wrong. 
her mother discovered that one paragraph referred to God and the Holy Ghost as being one and the same person. Lisa and her mother decided to write a letter to Lisa's teacher explaining that this paragraph was contrary to Lisa's belief and that she would feel much happier leaving it out. The next afternoon, her mother waited anxiously for Lisa to return home from school. She came home with a big, bright smile on her face. Not only had the teacher let her leave the paragraph out, but she asked for more information about the Mormons. In addition, the teacher asked Lisa to present an assembly about the Church. All of this happened because Lisa lived up to the covenant she had made and was willing to witness to the world her own beliefs. Thinking about Alma Judd and his son Jeremy reminds me of another Alma who stepped into a fountain of pure water in the land of Mormon to perform the ordinance of baptism for other believers. The Book of Mormon records that Alma was one who heard the teachings of Abinadi and believed. He urged King Noah not to put Abinadi to death, and this made the wicked king angry. Alma was driven out of the city and hid in a thicket by a spring of pure water. From this place of refuge in the wilderness, Alma began to teach the words of Abinadi. Those who believed came out of the city to the pure waters of Mormon, and there Alma preached unto them repentance, redemption, and faith on the Lord. Then Alma said to them, If you desire to come into the fold of God and be called his people, what have you against being baptized in the name of the Lord? As a witness before him that ye have entered into a covenant with him, that ye will serve him and keep his commandments, that he may pour out his Spirit more abundantly upon you. Then, one by one, Alma took them into the waters and baptized them. Baptism is the beginning of a new life for each one of us, a life of purpose. The Lord is very clear as to what it means to keep his commandments, to come into his fold and be called his people. His people are willing to bear one another's burdens, that they may be light, yea, and willing to mourn with those that mourn, yea, and comfort those that stand in need of comfort, and, like Lisa, stand as a witness of God at all times and in all things and in all places. It is the Lord's will that children at the age of eight begin to be responsible for the kind of lives they lead. You girls who are ten and eleven and all of us must assume this same responsibility. In so doing, we are becoming a Zion people, which the Doctrine and Covenant says are people who are pure in heart. After baptism, we can live a new, more thoughtful life, as described by the Christ. Into our office comes countless stories of the faithfulness of children who are keeping the promises they made at baptism. Christina was such a girl. When her primary teacher's husband died, Christina showed great concern. As soon as she heard the sad news, she went to her teacher and told her not to worry, that she would check in on her every day to make sure that she was all right. And she did. She would often take fresh vegetables from the garden to cheer her up. She wanted her to know she cared. Christina truly comforted one who needed comfort. And from Idaho comes a story about Jonathan, who went to school in the cold weather wearing his warm hat. When he got to school, he noticed another boy's ears were frostbitten because he had to wait so long in the cold for the school bus to pick him up. On his own, Jonathan went to the phone, called his mom, and asked if it would be all right to give the younger boy his hat because he needed it more. As we bear one another's burdens, like Jonathan did, we are fulfilling the covenant we made at baptism. 
Ellen was a young girl who really gained an understanding of repentance. While at the store, she took an item without paying for it. But when she got home, she felt miserable. She confided in her mother, I'm so sorry I took it. Will you take it back for me? Her mother said, I can't repent for you, Ellen. You must repent for yourself. You will have to take it back and say you are sorry. Well, it was hard, but she did it. This is my first repentance, Ellen said. I'm glad I know how to make things right. Repentance makes it possible to return to the straight and narrow path and become as pure as we were at baptism. We can all do what Christ asks us to do. He has a plan that will bring us happiness. As He whispers through the Spirit, He tells us how to follow His plan. This song, the 10 and 11 year old girls have told us we can be happy now and forever if we follow God's plan, which begins with baptism. It is the gate to the celestial kingdom. As followers of Christ, we should look forward with one eye, having one faith and one baptism, having hearts knit together in unity and in love one towards another. Each of us who has been baptized has covenanted with the Lord to serve Him and keep His commandments. Like Lisa, we must stand as a witness of God. Like Christina, we must comfort those in need. Like Jonathan, we must bear one another's burdens. Like Ellen, we must repent. I pray that we will have unity and love as we strive together to keep the covenants we have made at baptism. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for that beautiful music and the wonderful talks to which we've listened. I pray that the Spirit of the Lord may continue direct that is what that which is done. What a wonderful thing it is that although we are separated into some perhaps 900 different congregations, we are met together with one mind, with one heart, and with one desire. That desire, I am confident, is that each of us shall be lifted to a higher plane of thought and living. We were recently honored with visits to the Church Administration Building on two consecutive days of Ronald Reagan, President of the United States, and Walter Mondale, who is campaigning for the presidency. It was my opportunity on these occasions to introduce each of these distinguished gentlemen to Sister Young, to Sister Cap, and to Sister Winder. 
In each instance, I indicated that Sister Young presides over an organization of more than 650,000 children, that Sister Kep presides over an organization of more than a quarter of a million young women, and that Sister Winder presides over an organization of more than a million and a half mature women, the oldest continuously operating organization of women in our nation, if not in the entire world. I also introduced these gentlemen to the members of the Council of the Twelve and the presiding bishop. We all sat together, men and women, officers of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, meeting in the council room of the First Presidency. Women in the Church are associates with their brethren in carrying forward this mighty work of the Lord. It is no small thing that they are enrolled in these organizations, presided over by women, some two and a half million members. Columnists and reporters for the media occasionally have tried to paint a picture in which women of the Church are demeaned and placed in a status of inferiority. Nothing could be further from the truth. The very presence of these three capable women in those meetings with general authorities and with candidates for the presidency of the United States was an indication that under the plan of the Lord, women carry tremendous responsibilities. They are accountable for the fulfillment of those responsibilities. They head their own organizations. And those organizations are strong and viable and are significant forces for good in the world. They stand in an associate role to the priesthood, all striving together to build the kingdom of God in the earth. We honor and respect you for your capacity. We expect leadership and strength and impressive results from your management of the organizations for which you are responsible. We uphold and sustain you as daughters of God, working in a great partnership to assist him in bringing to pass the immortality and the eternal life of all of the sons and daughters of God. You, my beloved associates, are where you are in the balance of the sexes because God, your eternal Father, who loves you, puts you there. He loves you and honors you. We are honored to be associated with you. I have been interested in the theme which has been selected for this meeting. It comes from the first chapter of the Epistle of Paul to the Philippians and reads, Stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Those are the last words of the 27th verse. The opening words of that same verse are equally challenged. They read, Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That is a tremendously compelling injunction given to each of us. I recommend those words as a personal motto. May I suggest that you type or write them and put them on the mirror before you so that each day you might be reminded of them. They could become a powerful motivator in restraining from anger, in thinking better thoughts, in speaking more elevating language. Now, as I have wondered and prayed about what I might say on this occasion, I have been led again to read the 25th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. This, as you know, is a revelation given through Joseph the prophet to his wife Emma. It was given at Harmony, Pennsylvania in July of 1830, only a short time after the Church was organized. Insofar as I know, this is the only revelation given specifically to a woman. And in concluding it, the Lord said, This is my voice unto all. Therefore, the counsel given by the Lord on this occasion is applicable to each of you.
It includes you girls of 10 and 11 years of age. I'm grateful that you're with us tonight. I thank you for the effort you've made to come here. Many of you are here with your mothers, and that is a wonderful thing. For there is nothing more beautiful, no picture more lovely, than that of a mother with her daughters. A woman wrote to me a short time ago with a great sense of frustration. She indicated that she'd been defeated or had failed in most of what she'd tried to do. She then asked, What does God expect of me? Some of the things which God expects of her and of every other woman, in fact of each of us, is set forth in this beautiful revelation. Said he to Emma, and to each of us, A revelation I give unto you concerning my will. And if thou art faithful and walk in the paths of virtue before me, I will preserve thy life, and thou shalt receive an inheritance in Zion. If thou art faithful and walk in the paths of virtue before me, those words might become the theme of a very long sermon. I shall comment only briefly. In very large measure, each of us holds the key to the blessings of the Almighty upon us. If we wish the blessing, we must pay the price. A part of that price lies in being faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to ourselves, to the very best that is within us. No woman can afford to demean herself, to belittle herself, to downgrade her abilities or her capacities. Let each be faithful to the great divine attributes that are within her. Be faithful to the gospel. Be faithful to the church. We have all about us those who are seeking to undermine it, to look for weaknesses in its early leaders, to find fault with its program, to speak critically of it. I give you my testimony that it is the work of God. And those who speak against it are speaking against him. Be faithful to him. He is the one true source of your strength. He is your Father in heaven. He lives. He hears and answers prayers. Be faithful to God. The Lord continued saying to Emma, If thou walk in the paths of virtue, I think every woman in these gatherings tonight understands the meaning of that. I feel those words are given to Emma Smith and consequently to all of us as a condition to be observed if we are to receive an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Lack of virtue is totally inconsistent with obedience to the commandments of God. There is nothing more beautiful than virtue. There is no strength that is greater than the strength of virtue. There is no other nobility equal to the nobility of virtue. There is no quality so becoming, no attire so attractive. It is interesting that in this revelation, when the Lord gave that great conditional promise to Emma's, Emma, he went on to say, Thy sins are forgiven thee. And thou art an elect lady. I am so grateful for the gift of forgiveness extended by a merciful Father. Said the Lord through the prophet Isaiah concerning those who repent and are forgiven, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. To any within the sound of my voice who may be grieving over serious mistakes in their lives, I hold out the assurance given anciently and in modern revelation that where there is repentance there may be forgiveness. Do not dwell upon the tragic mistakes of the past. Rather, look to God and live. Emma was called an elect lady. That is. To use another line of scripture, she was a chosen vessel of the Lord. Each of you is an elect lady. 
You have come out of the world as partakers of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. You have made your election, and if you are living worthy of it, the Lord will honor you in it and magnify you. He then went on to say to Emma, Murmur not because of the things which thou hast not seen. He was speaking of the plates which her husband was translating, she serving at the time as his scribe. Evidently she complained because Joseph would not show them to her. The Lord is saying to her, Murmur not, complain not, accept what must be in my eternal wisdom and do not find fault. There are a few women in the Church who complain because they do not hold the priesthood. I think the Lord would say to you, Murmur not because of the things which are not given thee. This is his work. Joseph did not set the rule about not showing the plates to others. He was instructed concerning it. Nor have we set the rule concerning those who should receive the priesthood. That was established by him whose work this is, and he alone could change it. Emma was called in the words of this revelation to be a comfort unto my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., thy husband, in his afflictions with consoling words in the spirit of meekness. That's interesting language. She was his wife, his companion, his strength in his afflictions. She was to comfort with consoling words, given in a spirit of meekness. I see in that the challenge to every woman who is a wife to set the tone of that which is spoken in the home. It was said of old that a soft answer turneth away wrath. It is interesting to me that in this revelation the Lord spoke of consoling words in the spirit of meekness. There is so much argument in the homes of the people. It is so destructive. It is so corrosive. It leads only to bitterness, heartbreak, and tears. How well advised we would be, each of us, when there is tension, when there is friction, when there is affliction, to speak with consoling words in the spirit of meekness. Emma was to be ordained under the hand of Joseph to expound scriptures and to exhort the Church according as it shall be given thee by my spirit. She was to be a teacher. She was to be a teacher of righteousness and truth. For the Lord said concerning this calling to her, Thou shalt receive the Holy Ghost, and thy time shall be given to writing and to learning much. She was to study the gospel. She also was to study the things of the world in which she lived. That was made clear in subsequent revelations applicable to all of us. She was to devote her time to learning much. She was to write, giving expression to her thoughts. To you women of today, who are old or young, may I suggest that you write, that you keep journals, that you express your thoughts on paper. Writing is a great discipline. It is a tremendous educational effort. It will assist you in various ways, and you will bless the lives of many, your families and others, now and in the years to come, as you put on paper some of your experiences and some of your musings. In the language of the Revelation, she was to expound the scriptures, exhort the Church, teach as, and instruct as it shall be given thee by my Spirit. What a remarkable charge to her and to all of the women of this Church. There must be learning. There must be preparation. There must be organization of thought. There must be an expanding of the scripture. There must be an exhortation to good works as directed by the Holy Spirit. The Lord continued, I say unto thee that thou shalt lay aside the things of this world and seek for the things of a better. 
I feel he was not telling Emma that she should not feel concerned about a place to live, food on her table, and clothing. He was saying to her that she should not be obsessed with these things, as so many of us are wont to be. He was telling her to get her thoughts on the higher things of life, the things of righteousness and goodness, matters of charity and love for others, the things of eternity. Emma was instructed to make a collection of hymns for the Church, and it is interesting that this council came only three months after the Church was organized. In connection with that call, the Lord made a remarkable declaration, which is often quoted among us, For my soul delighteth in the song of the heart. Yea, the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me, and it shall be answered with a blessing upon their heads. As this gifted chorus is sung to us tonight, those words have gone through my mind. The song of the righteous is a prayer unto God, and it shall be answered with a blessing upon their heads. Continuing, the Lord said, Wherefore, lift up thy heart and rejoice, and cleave unto the covenants which thou hast made. I believe that he is saying to each of us, Be happy. The gospel is a thing of joy. It provides us with a reason for gladness. Of course there are times of sorrow. Of course there are hours of concern and anxiety. We all worry. But the Lord has told us to lift our hearts and rejoice. I see so many people, including many women, who seem never to see the sunshine, but who constantly walk with storms under cloudy skies. Cultivate an attitude of happiness. Cultivate a spirit of optimism. Walk with faith, rejoicing in the beauties of nature, in the goodness of those you love, in the testimony which you carry in your heart concerning things divine. Quote, Continue in the spirit of meekness and beware of pride. Those words are from this same revelation. They are meaningful for each of us. Continuing, keep my commandments continually, and a crown of righteousness thou shalt receive. That was the promise of the Lord to Emma Hale Smith. It is the promise of the Lord to each of you. Happiness lies in keeping the commandments. For a Latter-day Saint woman, there can be only misery in the violation of those commandments. And for each who observes them, there is the promise of a crown, a queenly crown for each daughter of God a crown of righteousness and eternal truth. I commend to each of you the words of this great revelation given 154 years ago. It is as timely today as it was when it was spoken. May I urge that each of you read it, reflect on it. It is in harmony with and so beautifully amplifies the theme of this meeting. God bless you, my beloved sisters, you little girls whom we so much appreciate, you beautiful young women who dream wonderful dreams of the future, you who are not married and sometimes feel lonely, but who, I assure you, the Lord has not forgotten, those of you who carry the burdens of rearing families, those of you who are widowed or divorced, and you beautiful older women whom we so love and honor and respect. God bless you with every righteous desire, with peace in your hearts, and joy in your days, as daughters of God blessed with the light of his everlasting gospel, I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. President Hinckley, Nelder Larson, brethren, Sister Cap, Sister Young, 
and sisters. We have been blessed tonight by the music and the spoken word and a rich outpouring of the Spirit. I am humbled and honored by this call to serve the Lord and you, and I feel greatly the responsibility. Here we are in the tabernacle, and I picture you in every corner of the world, in your chapels and stake centers, in your branches, the greatest women that the Lord has ever sent to earth, capable, righteous, willing women, each contributing in your own way to the building of the kingdom. We are a covenant people, as Sister Young has so beautifully explained and Sister Cap has so beautifully given us application for. We have promised to live our lives in ways that reflect gospel principles, concerned about and supportive about those around us. President Kimball has said that great women and men are always more anxious to serve than to have dominion. Since my husband's release as mission president of the California San Diego Mission, I look at him and my eyes grow misty. At such times, he must think the responsibility of my calling are great, and they are, or that I have burdens and difficult decisions to make, and I do. But my tears are for the respect and admiration I feel for him, for his deep commitment to the Lord, no matter what the call is. When the call came for me to fill this responsibility, he immediately did what was necessary to conclude our mission business and, without hesitation, actively supported me. The ability to do this, I believe, comes from an understanding of gospel principles, knowledge of the covenants that we make, and a determination to live in accordance with that knowledge and also a great love of the Lord. Again from President Kimball, the real heroines are women who are more concerned with being righteous than being selfish. They have true humility, which places a higher value on integrity than on visibility. Already, I have seen examples of women who so impress me with their spirit and dedication to the Lord. Their lives reveal consistent gratitude and faith. There are single women who have found their way into the hearts of entire wards through their good works. Mothers of various ages, married, widowed, divorced, who will allow nothing to obstruct their mission to rear children in righteousness. Wives who nurture and sustain husbands in sometimes difficult situations, and women who are willing to defend the home and the hearth in the public arena and in community service. I have become aware of the refining process through which these women go as they forget themselves in the service of others and sacrifice as they strive to build the kingdom, fulfilling the, the admonition of President Kimball to be a much-needed force for love and truth and righteousness, nurturing family, friends, and neighbors. We are striving together with one heart and one mind to become that Zion society where our beliefs are transformed into action. Recently, at a fast and testimony meeting, a young woman stood and expressed her gratitude for her primary class and commented on how well, with the encouragement of their mothers, each girl had responded to both classwork and activities. And then during that same meeting, a sister stood and thanked her Heavenly Father for the new calling to be president of the young women. She committed herself to that service and then pled with the mothers to see that the girls would be there. 
primary and young women workers actively participate in Relief Society through their visiting, teaching, and compassionate service work, and through their talents shared at homemaking meeting. Sisters, we need to actively support each other as we teach and train. As sisters in the gospel, we are linked together by the service we render so that individuals and families will be strengthened. In Mosiah, we are told that we are to be called his people, willing to bear one another's burdens that they may be light, willing to mourn with those that mourn, and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. When the people understood the baptismal promise that Alma set forth in Mosiah, they clapped their hands for joy and they exclaimed, This is the desire of our hearts. What was the desire of our hearts? To have fulfilled the baptismal promises, which are that their sins would be washed away, that their names would be numbered with the children of Christ, meaning membership in his church, that they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and that by keeping the commandments, they would have eternal life. Now, baptism by itself, of course, is not sufficient to allow us to be called children of Christ. We must continue on a course of righteousness. As we live for the constant companionship of the Spirit, we can hear and respond to the still, small voice and be led in what we do and say. In the following words of John A. Widsow, he reminds us that our covenants bring more value to our daily acts. A piece of silver always has a certain ring as it passes from hand to hand. It is weighed, and we sell it in the marketplace. But when that piece of silver is coined into a dollar, it receives a stamp of government service, and it becomes a coin of the realm. It moves from hand to hand to accomplish the work of the realm. So it is. Every act of man, the moment that it is fitted into the great plan, the plan of salvation, receives spiritual coinage as it passes from hand to hand, from mind to mind, to accomplish the great work of God. My 87-year-old mother-in-law was called to serve as my visiting teacher. She has received spiritual coinage. She has captured the essence of transforming her beliefs into action as she cheerfully and faithfully finds me not an easy task at odd hours and gives me a brief, uplifting message, fits the topic to my life, and uplifts me spiritually. Even leaders need to be encouraged. The Lord oft-times sends his children to answer the prayers of another. A friend lost two sons in a motorcycle accident and had inconsolable grief. She was unable to reach the bishop and had turned to the Lord in fervent prayer. When she looked up, her visiting teacher was at the door and stated simply, I felt that I was needed. In another situation, a sister's mother passed away. A friend, knowing the sister's loss, wanted to help, but was uncertain what she should do. Should she take flowers or food? Her husband suggested she ask the Lord what to take. The answer came, just go. Upon her arrival, the sister was immediately comforted by her friend's presence and asked her to pray with her. And then the grieved sister commented on what her friend had brought and needed peace. Many can visit, but because of the covenants we have made, we go in his name. We are able to say and do those things that we would not otherwise know to say. And do. Sisters, there are those in the church today who feel lonely and isolated. 
I have anguished over the cry of those sisters who want to contribute, who want to belong, who long for companionship and yet do not feel love and acceptance. I search, too, for the faces of the dear sisters we wish were here, who may be kept away with struggles of their own, whose presence would make us all stronger. We need you, each and every one. President Hinckley has told us, God has given the women of this church a work to do in building his kingdom. Beautiful things can be done when sisters of the gospel work together. Nephi tells us regarding our baptismal covenant, Ye are in the straight and narrow path which leads to eternal life. Ye have entered in by the gate. Ye have done according to the commandments of the Father and the Son. And ye have received the Holy Ghost. And then he asks if all is done. Nay, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, ye shall have eternal life. Sisters, I encourage you to prepare yourselves and to prepare your families to receive the blessings of the covenant. We do this by keeping the commandments, by seeking the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, and by transforming our beliefs into action. As we strive together to give righteous, selfless service in his name, supporting one another, we become united, our light shining forth as a standard, bound together by the good we do, no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. I bear witness of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. To young women in all parts of the world, I care about you. Every one of you, wherever you are, I believe in you, and I love you. In the early months of our presidency, we have felt your faith, your strength, and your prayers. Know that you have our faith, our commitment to serve you, and our prayers as you stand strong in doing what is right. To you, Maria, Anna, Alofa, Christine, Michelle, every one of you, in every corner of the earth, in every family, every classroom, wherever you are, Striving for righteousness, join with a quarter of a million other young women in becoming a mighty force for good. You can bring light where there is darkness, hope where there is despair, and faith where there is doubt. But it won't be easy. I know that. You will know it, too. I believe it may be as hard, maybe even harder, than the struggles of our young pioneer sisters who pushed handcarts suffered extreme fatigue, or were deserted by family or loved ones when they joined the Church. An account of my grandmother's journal gives this example. Almost a century and a half ago, the Book of Mormon was brought into the home of Susan Kent when she was 16 years of age. After studying the Book of Mormon, Susan gained a testimony of the truth of the book that was so strong she could not reject it, although to accept it meant a great sacrifice to her. She was at the time engaged to a young man and felt she could not endure being separated from him, but he would have nothing to do with anyone who would join the Mormons. She did not count the cost. She chose the path of peace for her conscience, but her heart was so grieved that she could partake of no nourishment for several days. Then she lapsed into a coma so profound it had the appearance of actual death. Preparations were being made for her funeral until she awoke one day asking, How long have I slept? With tender care, she slowly regained her health, and with her sister Abigail and their parents, 
joined the Church, I'll be eternally grateful to my great-grandmother, Susan Kant, for her testimony of the Book of Mormon and what it meant in her life, and now what it means in mine. Each of you will have a different and difficult kind of experience, but nevertheless an experience of personal sacrifice. Your challenges will require moral courage to mark a straight and narrow path for others to follow. Your challenges might be similar to Susan's. You might have to break an engagement or decline an invitation to a dance or a party because you have chosen to follow the teachings of the Book of Mormon and our modern-day prophet. This is a time when the influence of many movies and fashions and music and fads would try to desensitize us so that the greatest and most dangerous hazards appear not so bad, and the loud voices of the world would be allowed to interfere with the whisperings of the Spirit within you and thus threaten your eternal life. This very week, a young girl from Texas was telling of her struggle to be good. She spoke of the constant bombarding of evils made to appear appealing at school, on the television, in advertisements. There is hardly a corner protected from messages of immorality. You simply can't make it alone, she said. Tonight, I'd like to talk to you about striving together. You need not travel alone. In fact, you must not if you are to avoid the dangerous hazards along the way. When we strive together in righteousness with our families and friends, there is increased safety. Now, some families are more complete than others, but every family is precious. There are times when we need help from our family and don't even know it and may not even want it, and it won't make much sense until later. Let me explain what I mean. I remember one evening years ago, while attending a Sunday school party, I looked at the clock, and it was past the time I was told to be home. Just then a knock came on the door. I was horrified. My dad had come after me. I felt humiliated in front of my friends. I thought I wanted to die. I was not pleasant with my dad. Disobedience never makes one pleasant. A few years later, my friends and I were driving home from a dance across an Indian reservation ten miles from any shelter. It was 40 degrees below zero, and the wind chill continued to lower the temperature. A few miles further into the blizzard, we discovered there was no heat in the car. It was frozen up. The car would not run. We came to a slow stop. We watched the snow swirling in front of us only until the windows quickly froze over. We were quiet and sober as we contemplated our fate. Our lives were in danger. The silence was broken as a friend in the back seat asked, How long do you think it will be before your dad will get here? Why do you think they thought my dad would come? One time I had thought I wanted to die because he came after me. This time we lived because my dad came through the blizzard to save my life and the lives of my friends. This time I was pleasant with my dad. (laughs) Pleasant and very grateful. This life provides many causes for disunity and strife. Evil forces are working relentlessly to have us bring contention into our homes over any issue and threaten our happiness, our peace, and our love for each other. Some time ago, a young girl came into my office. There was anger in her voice and hurt in her eyes. She came to tell me all the things she didn't like about her mom. I listened and listened until she got it all out. It was a long list. There was silence. Then I asked, Is there anything that's good about your mom? I waited. I think she had refused to let her mind think in that direction until that moment. I asked, Amy, how do you feel about your mom? She raised her head, tears streaming down her cheeks. She's my mom. I love her. She had discovered love, 
Now, there's no magic formula. She still had to go home and work it out day by day. But she had let go of the strife in her heart, and she wanted to strive together with her mom. And that's exactly what her mom had been praying for. Miracles can happen when we decide to work together. In Amy's case, something of a miracle did happen. It's okay that your parents aren't perfect. No one's are. And it's okay that they didn't have any perfect children either. (laughs) No one's are. You see, our whole purpose is to strive together in righteousness, overcoming our weaknesses day by day. Don't ever give up on each other. Sometimes a daughter can rescue a parent in times of storm when she cares enough to help. I know a family where the dad has had to move from job to job. In his kind of work, everyone is getting laid off. He might have come home and called his wife into the other room and said, My dear, we don't have enough money to pay the bills. And I know how much Julie wants that expensive sweater. I told her we'd try to get it for her. I don't want to disappoint her. What am I going to do? There might have been some teenage daughters saying, But all the other kids get new things. We deserve it. Besides, Dad promised. But that wasn't the way it happened. Dad came home. He didn't have to say anything. Julie and her sister knew. Julie didn't say, Dad, what are you going to do? Her mom told me that she put her arm around his shoulder and said, Oh, Dad, we can help. How do you think her dad felt? Do you have any idea how her mom must have felt? Since that time, Julie's been working two jobs, 12 hours a day, to pay for her tuition this fall. On the day her 12-year-old brother would not have been able to go to camp because, because he had no suitable pants to wear, Julie received her pay from both jobs. Her mom told me that she held out the money for her tithing, held back the portion she must save each week for her college tuition, and had enough left to take her brother shopping for the much-needed pants. How do you think her brother felt? Do you have any idea how Julie must have felt? Disappointment and sacrifice can provide the struggles that make you pull together or become the enemy that will divide and destroy families. You will decide which it will be. I'm convinced that if you will stop like Amy and think of the good things instead of the bad, you'll discover You'll discover love that will bind you safely together with your family through all the skirmishes that occur with loved ones, like having to share the bathroom, or the car, or the one nice dress, or whatever, with loved ones that are not yet perfect, just striving together through thick or thin. Lest you get anxious, let me remind you, perfection is hard work and comes only a step at a time. President Duan Young spoke so beautifully of the meaning of our baptismal covenant. Each and every Sunday, as we partake of the sacrament, we promise again to strive to keep the commandments so the Spirit of the Lord will be with us always. When you learn to listen to the whisperings of that Spirit within each one of you and then have the courage to follow, you will become noticeably different because you won't be doing many of the things that are popular with the world. That won't be easy, but you can handle that. Let me share with you the last lines of a poem written by my sister Shirley for her children. Listen to your inner drummer. Step to its quiet beat. The world beats another rhythm, a rhythm of defeat. We'll become a holy people, peculiar, and divine, living in the world but walking out of time. There will continue to be strife in the world, but because of the covenants, the promises we have made to care about one another, and the promises our Father in Heaven has made never to leave us or desert us, we will come through the storm together to rescue each other in times of danger, even as my dad came after me. We will look forward with faith in God, having our hearts knit together in unity and in love, one toward another. We can do this. I know we can. 
The evils of our day will increase, even like the wicked armies of Pharaoh threatening the children of Israel in the time of Moses. But with faith in God, striving together in righteousness, we of all people have reason to take heart and rejoice. We'll rejoice and we'll take heart. And with our eyes fixed on heaven, we'll watch the Red Sea part. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.